Alright everyone, welcome back to episode number 8 of the Low Side Podcast. Uh, very excited this week, my guest is Matt Boyts. Uh, Matt is not only my neighbor, but somebody that uh, I'd definitely call a friend. Uh, we've got to know each other a little bit over the last year or two. And um, probably the one thing that stood out to me most is, is Matt is a super intelligent, um, super thoughtful, and, and charismatic guy. So I think everyone will enjoy the conversation, and I'm looking forward to uh, getting into that. I, I don't usually touch on political things, and this won't be that, but I did wake up this morning uh, on Mondays. I drive a couple hours to get to work, and I did wake up this morning uh, to the news of the shooting in Las Vegas, and uh, I, I just, it breaks my heart. Um, you know, I, I anybody who knows me knows that I talk a lot about people, uh, and, and I don't see color. I don't see backgrounds. Um, I don't see a lot of the things that divide us. Uh, I see people with unique stories and, and unique uh, experiences, and, and that's part of why I enjoy this podcast so much. And to, uh, to wake up to that news and to hear that news and, and think of a lot of people who are brothers and, and dads and moms and, and sons and friends and a lot of different titles to a lot of different people, um, and they're, they're not going to come back home. Uh, it just doesn't sit well with me. So uh, I wanted to talk about it. Um, I, I think, you know, these times force everybody to take a step back and realize um, how significant the people you know are and uh, how significant each each day you have is. So uh, I don't want to put a damper on, on anybody's day or on the beginning of this podcast, but uh, I hope maybe that news struck a chord with you to reach out to somebody or uh, maybe just to be grateful for some of the opportunities you have because uh, there's a lot of people in Las Vegas, uh, that won't have any of those opportunities ever again. So, uh, without further ado, again, my guest this week, Matt Boyts. He is a soccer coach. Uh, he works for one of the largest companies in the United States and, uh, he's all around a good dude. So, uh, enjoy. Thanks guys. Bye. All right, uh, everybody, welcome back to the Low Side Podcast. Uh, this is episode number eight already. Um, my guest this week is Matt Boyts. Matt, thanks for coming on. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, there's Most people you know, probably don't know Matt. Um, he's actually my neighbor. And um, more than that, somebody that I've kind of got to know a little bit of their story and a little bit personally over the last year and a half or so. And uh, I'll lead in with kind of a, a funny story of my own. But I, I think probably the first time I met Matt, it was evident to me that um, he was overwhelmingly a, t a true-blooded Texan. Um, so I guess my first question is, uh, where at in Texas are you from? Yeah, so I'm from, from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, originally, I, I, I try to make it clear uh, whenever people ask me that question, especially being not a local Wichita or a local Kansan, uh, I am from Fort Worth, Texas, not Dallas, Texas, not Dallas, Fort Worth, but Fort Worth, Texas. Why is there, I've heard, you're not the first person I've heard bring that up, why is there a discrepancy between the two? Yeah, I don't, I think it's a, um, I don't think it's a pride thing. I think it's truly, there's, there's a lot of history in Fort Worth. There's obviously a lot of history in Dallas as well, but I think Fort Worth for me, 
uh, it means it's kind of the city that um, it embraces outsiders, it embraces visitors. Um, you go there and you just get kind of the hometown feel. Well, at the same time, you've got big city perks. Um, anything and everything that Dallas has, um, I'd say Fort Worth has as well. Um, but also that culture and that history that's really deeply embedded in the city. I think Dallas and Fort Worth, and like Fort Worth, you mentioned a lot of history and a lot of culture. Um, I think Texas itself is that way. What is it about being from Texas that people identify with so much versus, you know, being from Kansas, being from Colorado, being from anywhere else? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I think, and part of me, the, the more and more that I stay outside of the actual state, so I've lived outside of Texas for probably 10 years now. Um, I'd still call myself a I mean, where, where are you from? I'm from Texas. I'm not from Kansas yet. I don't know when that like paradigm, <laughs> when that shift happens and if it ever happens. Um, and if it does, it might be time to move. But um, no, I think it's I think it's so because it's such a big state geographically, it's so diverse, um, and you've just got I think a lot of diversity of culture, um, and so with that, I think that brings. Um, Again, just generally kind of a, a connectedness of anyone from the state. Um, and also, again, kind of as mentioned, even outsiders that move to Texas, I think it's, it's one of those things that um, once you're there, you're there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer for it. But I think it's just like that, the diversity of culture and the, the openness and kind of the, the embracing, embracing outsiders. How, how did you end up in Wichita? Yeah, so I, uh, there's a couple things. So one, um, at the time, so I've got extended family up north of here, just in Heston. So both my parents, they were, um, they were born and raised in Heston, Kansas. Um, they met in high school, high school sweethearts. They got married. My dad went and played, so he played basketball at um, Hutch Juco for two years and then transferred down to TCU. Uh, so that took them to Fort Worth. So that so extended family that are still around this area uh, is what brought me back this way. So I went to a junior college uh, at Heston College, played soccer there, moved away for a little bit, and came back. Um, so came back partly because of a family, extended family, granddad uh, at the time, grandparents. Um, there was a girl in the picture at the time. Uh, There's always a girl. There's always a girl in the picture always at the time. So that was a, I try to like always scurry around that piece, but there was a girl at the time. Uh, that kind of that brought me back this way, and then um, I stuck around. Um, opportunities came up after graduation, so I stuck around here. But. What's your uh, what do you how would you sum up Wichita as someone who's not from here originally? Yeah, so I think um, it took me. So it took me probably two to three years to really get comfortable or actually um, feel more settled in a sense. Um, I think part of it's, I think it's a, it's a smaller city obviously than, than Fort Worth where I, where I grew up. Um, but I also think there's, there's really strong communities here. Um, and so as you kind of move in and kind of find where do you fit, where are your interests, um, what part of Wichita you want to live in and what part of Wichita do you spend your time and then those people that you do gravitate towards where are they spending their time um, but I think so 
I think it's a I think it's a great city. I've learned to appreciate it. Um, I've grown to appreciate it tremendously, and mainly because of the people. Um, there's obviously great opportunity. I wouldn't be here if I didn't see uh, further opportunities in Wichita for myself, but also just the community at large. Um, the direction that it's heading, especially the last five years, I think has been encouraging. I agree. I agree. Um, and I know you're, we'll get into it. Your background involves with community relations mm-hmm. and community um, involvement, but you mentioned soccer um, when you're talking about Heston and Heston yeah. College. When did you start playing soccer? Yeah. So I played, I mean, I grew up playing soccer. So I, I, uh, I played, I think the YMCA league team that I played for, they were all like international countries. I played for Brazil. So I did my claim to fame. I played for Brazil for one year when I was six years old, <laughs> um, in the Y Fort Worth YMCA recreational league. Um, but from that point then I moved into the club, um, to club teams. And so I started with Fort Worth United, but that for a few years transitioned over to Fort Worth Football Club, um, and we played in Dallas. Um, was where we where we played. Uh, but I started started age six, and then played through played club up through uh, high school until graduation, and went into college and played played two years of college soccer as well. Do you have a favorite professional soccer player? At not necessarily now, but when you were younger, growing up. Yeah, I. Uh, I loved Ronaldinho, the Brazilian yeah. player. Um, played for Barcelona. AC Milan. Yeah, AC Milan. Yeah. I think he had a little spin with. But he was. Uh, I remember just having YouTube videos of Ronaldinho on repeat that I would just watch and just watch and just watch. Um, then you'd go and kind of tool around in the backyard or tool around in the living room to try to replicate what he was doing. Um, but I think it was such the style of play that he had and this, the uh, the technical ability and just his um, such a an effortless, smooth way of actually playing soccer that I think made it. Um, for me, he was he was one that I I tried to model my game after. In no way was I successful in modeling my <laughs> most game people, after. Most people aren't <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, but he would probably younger. He would probably be my my uh, my favorite favorite player. What do you? What's your opinion of the state of American soccer? Oh man. Um, that's a good question. I think it's, so again, I'll say directionally, and I think the momentum, it has been uh, going in the right direction for the last, I don't know, probably maybe 10 years or so. Um, there's always this interesting kind of dynamic, and I think it's oftentimes you look at big Division One universities that have men's football programs, women's uh, soccer programs, uh, baseball, softball, and then the soccer team is either a club team that's not necessarily within that realm of, of the athletics department equivalent to a football team, for example. Um, why that is, I, I, I think it's just, uh, um, in terms of like popularity around the globe, I think it's the most popular sport. Mm-hmm. Um, easily. I have zero facts to back that. I think it easily is. Yeah. Um, so then trying to, yeah, I think just trying to piece together kind of where the, where the split is. But you go, it's interesting, you go into like little pockets of, so today coaching out at SESA in Wichita, um, I mean, you've got hundreds of cars that are just lining and hundreds of people that are going through there from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. consistently on a Sunday, even more and for a longer period of time on a Saturday. So I think it's, I think it's, um, it's less mainstream, um, but you have pockets within um, every city 
that there's a tremendous amount of energy and a tremendous amount of excitement around it. Um, I think the the men's national team, women's national team, I think has seen a tremendous mm. amount of success, which I think has picked up, uh, which has been really encouraging. Um, I think the men's national team is again kind of directionally going in the right direction, but um, I don't know. I think they need they need like a big win or a couple big wins. Yeah, I so I was lucky enough when I graduated college. I went to Europe for two and a half months backpacked all over and out of fate or luck it aligned with the 2014 world cup oh, yeah. and so every city we went to no matter if that country's team was playing or not every single night had it was like a, a college football saturday yeah. every night for two months yeah and i think the thing that i took away when i looked because i'm not a soccer guy at all but when i was there you couldn't help but be one yeah and the thing that I took away from it was Americans get invested for the two weeks to six weeks that could be the World Cup. Yep. And then they have no reason to be invested outside of that. Yep. Whereas the Europeans and people from other international countries invest in their country for that short amount of time. And then they go back to their club team yep. or whoever they cheer for the rest of the year. Yep. And in the states we just can't maintain that level of enthusiasm past that once every four year window yep and that's no that's a great point and i think the other so the exciting thing though so i think four years ago maybe three years ago I went to my first sporting kc game mm-hmm. and it was a it was the season that they actually won the mls cup but it was one of their playoff games and that so that the new stadium they have there in kansas city it's modeled exactly like so i did a, we the club team i played for we uh it was between, I think, sophomore and junior year. We played in a tournament um, in England. Um, so we were able to get exposed. So we went to a couple of, of championship league games, um, toured Manchester United Stadium, trained with Liverpool. But to see that, so that type of excitement, I think that, to your point, every city has a club. And it's such that, that whether it's geographic in nature and so it's so concentrated. Um, but I think the... I'm not sure if it's it just hasn't scaled yet to the point and whether it will or not I don't know um, so do you expect every city in Kansas to have a great MLS team that can compete um, no I don't but um, can you at least have one within each of those different states that the MLS is modeling so then you can say here's our here's our national league and here's why we're competitive um, but yeah I was just in uh, Kansas City on Tuesday of last week, I think. Yeah. And they were playing the Gold Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't at the sporting game, but I was in Legends, which is where the stadium is located. Yeah. And it was crazy. Like, yeah. there was people there two hours before the game. I could hear, I ate dinner, um, and you could hear it as it was going on. They're yeah. lighting off fireworks. I mean, the environment, like I said, I'm not a soccer guy, but I can appreciate and enjoy that yeah. kind of environment. So they're definitely on the right track. Yeah, and there's not a, the new state, I mean, there's not a bad seat in that state. No. I mean, yeah. it's, and it's modeled exactly like it's smaller. There's not, it's not this massive, it's really nice, um, really good size to where you can be anywhere in that stadium and you can have a good perspective on the game. You mentioned coaching. What made you decide to stay involved with soccer from the coaching side? Yeah, um, so I got connected. I think one was, um, so I started out as an, I graduated from Heston College, was going through school at WSU. While I was going to school, I was had the opportunity to go back and be an assistant coach for the men's program at Heston. Um, 
at that point, I think I'll, I mean, continue to go back to it. It's the, like that camaraderie and just the people and the relationships that you have in a team setting. Um, and soccer is one where you're reliant on 11 other individuals at any point in time. Um, and so I think that aspect of the actual sport and then being on the side of, so starting off as a player and then being on the side of, of kind of the coach's side where you can, you can then start influencing the dynamics of those relationships a little bit more. Um, you can start influencing the dynamics of the style of play um, a, lot, a little bit more. And so seeing that and being exposed to that at the college level, um, I think that's what, that's what made me realize, like, one, I love the sport, so I want to stay involved with it. Two, is there an opportunity to get earlier, engaged earlier with um, younger players so that we can help kind of shape the mindset of what do they see? Um, do they see themselves in a long-term soccer career? If not, how can the sport kind of help shape them and mold them in a way where they can you know, just be good people? Um, but it's, I think, mainly the, the relationship side uh, of, of that. I, th- I think everybody always says it's way harder to watch than it is to play. When you're playing, it's reactionary. When you're coaching, it's a lot it's more strategical. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge about being on the other side of it as somebody who was a player and is now a coach? Yeah, I think um, oftentimes it's the so two things one i think oftentimes it's it's allowing allowing individual players to transform into the player that they'll be so i think i have a mindset of how i was and i have a mindset of the players that i played well with that surrounded me but that maybe fits two percent of any of the individuals that are actually playing soccer at the time or right now or in the sport and so trying to trying to kind of broaden my perspective to say no this um this works for this individual or this works for this group or this works for this two or three or four players. Um, so allowing them to, I guess maybe setting them up to, to be able to develop to their fullest potential and not trying to kind of mold and shape mm. into what I see as good. Um, help them understand and provide like a background example for this is what I've seen work and this is what I've seen as good. And here's kind of some foundational um, bits and pieces that, that I think would be helpful, but you go go take that within this framework and then you go figure it out. Um, so I think that's the, the one piece is not trying to impose my style of play or whatever it is. Um, the second piece is I think the like fans and parents mm-hmm. side. So my, <laughs> and if any of the parents are listening to this, um, probably not. Yeah, probably. <laughs> not yet. Maybe ten years from now. Yeah, but no. I think it's it's just a really fascinating dynamic. I think um, there's and I have um, I don't have any kids, um, and so I I can't speak from a parent's perspective, and so I'm sure there's a lot of different dynamics at play. Um, but the intensity level at times of some parents, even at age six, uh, it's it's mind blowing to me. And so, again, it goes back to, like, let's keep things in perspective and what are we trying to accomplish here. Um, and I think one of the things that just athletics in general, uh, regardless of the sport, contributes to individuals is just, um, like, making them a, a, a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a significant contributor to just making an individual a good person. Nice. I like that. Um, speaking of soccer and, like, not necessarily third world countries, but countries... Um, across the globe. I know 
just from previous conversations, you spent time in Nicaragua. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So the uh, as soon as I graduated Heston uh, College, I, had, I I just had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I didn't want to go pay for a college degree that I had no plans of utilizing. Um, so I got in. I got introduced to one through just other friends that had gone through a similar program. Um, through with Mennonite Central Committee, um, so it's an organization, a global organization that, uh, as part of their um, part of their programming, they have uh, like one year service term opportunities for young adults. Um, so introduced introduced to that program, went through the application process, um, knew that I had um, had a kind of a passion for um, Latin American culture in general. Um, and so, uh, on the application said of the top three countries where you want to be, um, I think it was Bolivia, Colombia, and Nicaragua was my third option. Um, so this is that the one year service. So it was, uh, I had no idea what the actual opportunity would be. I didn't know what, uh, necessarily I would be tasked to go do. I had a general idea, but I knew kind of where I wanted to go geographically, um, so yeah, so after graduation, um, it was um, August of that following um, that following year, and um, moved to Nicaragua. Was there for a year. Uh, lived with a host family. Worked with Nicaraguans. Um, I taught English uh, in a essentially an after school program. Um, so I taught English to elementary school aged children, to middle school aged children, to adults. Um, threw in some like guitar lessons uh, now and then. Do you play guitar? I do. Yeah. At what level? Oh man. Um, <laughs> and that might not be a fair question. <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you play? I guess. Yeah. So I I got on a so when I first started I got my first electric guitar from my aunt um, who or maybe sorry mom if it was actually from you. <laughs> Um, it was a, so I got a first electric guitar was a guitar I had I still have it um, and still play it from time to time but um, I was really into like Blink 182 nice. and uh, <laughs> like so they were the super easy to play and um, so that's what I started into and then got my first acoustic guitar um, moved into like my dad was a huge James Taylor fan and so um, learned a couple of James Taylor songs have three older sisters. They were big Dave Matthews band fans. So then became a Dave Matthews band fan, and then started playing some Dave Matthews. Um, transitioned into some like took a little lull into like some more chill John Mayer stuff. And it's <laughs> you're, all like the you're hitting all the all the spectrum. Exactly. So it's a it's a uh, yeah it's the it's the uh, that's kind of across the board. Um, Dave Matthews probably though is the top like. What's your favorite concert you've ever been to? I would say, so it depends on, depends on, fa- so in terms of visually my favorite, uh, we saw, I saw Coldplay oh, nice. in Cowboy Stadium um, last year. Nice. So in terms of the actual overall experience, I think that was the best concert I've ever seen. Um, as you walked in, they gave you these uh, LED wristbands that lit up like with the actual music and different songs mm. and the entire sold out stadium had them on. Um, so it was just like... Um, in terms of just like overstimulation of it's an experience it's not listening to music yeah Yeah. exactly so that's the whole that's the whole experience Um, I think my 
one of my other favorite just for the actual like music was seeing Dave Matthews down in Dallas um, got to see him in an outdoor venue I'd been wanting to see him forever and finally got I think it was three years ago uh, got a chance to see him down in Dallas uh, but that was from just like the, the musical more along with my musical taste that I got to see him what was your first concert oh man um I don't know. Counting Crows. Oh, that's that my favorite. favorite. That's my favorite band. <laughs> really? Yeah. So Where I at? saw Counting Crows in Vail, Colorado. Huh. And an outdoor, um, freezing cold. I forget what time of the year it was, but it was just. But I was. It was. It was Counting Crows. They're actually terrible live. I think that it's not a concert you go to to like have a be excited and rowdy and have a good time. Their music yeah. doesn't lead to that yeah i just saw that i went at uh oklahoma city amphitheater at the end of july mm-hmm. uh and it was they were doing a, a tour with um rob thomas and matchbox 20 huh. and i like rob thomas and matchbox 22 they blew away counting crows really and that's coming like that is my favorite band yeah when i go on a road trip with no one in the car it it's a little too loud and my terrible <laughs> vocals lead the way but um yeah it's just a their style is unique to like they need to do sessions yeah like their style is unique to small audiences yeah. and not big you know production type tours yeah um, but that's that's interesting yeah nice yeah. yeah so that was the first um back to Nicar- nicaragua had you traveled internationally before then really really small stuff so um we went to um family would vacation down in South Padre Island every year uh, growing up and so we would we would go across to um, oh was it oh, I forget the name of the city but we would go across for like a day trip to New Mexico mm-hmm. um, and trek around there for a little bit then come back uh, high school went to England for 10 days um, played soccer over there otherwise that was really the, the Canada a couple times but that was like the extent of my travel so this was by far kind of the longest commitment uh, and kind of the, the farthest, most foreign place that I think that I've been um, kind of as a, as a whole that where I've gone. I was looking at some pictures in your living room. Did you go with buddies? So I went, so those pictures, I've been able to go back like once a year. Oh, uh, nice. So I've gone back, I think it was, it was seven years ago. Um, that was a long time ago from when I was when I left there so my last time there and so uh, I was able I've been able fortunately enough to go back um, visit uh, host family visit friends um, and be able to see um, just those individuals and kind of the places where I where I spent that year of my life um, so but so yeah the pictures you saw we've, I've been able to go back with buddies go back with family um, but when I was there it was just just me um, there were three other volunteers in different cities across the country um, but I was the only person individual in the city where I was at have you traveled uh, anywhere else internationally outside of Nicaragua yeah so um, through previous role that I had with um, my current job uh, employer at Coke Industries was um, so I went to, to Shanghai three times. Um, the third time was a trip. The first leg was Shanghai, then from Shanghai to um, Germany, and then Germany back. Um, so those were that was the, the 
obviously the longest uh, international travel that I'd done. But that was last year and over the last two or three years that I'd done that. Where, uh, what's on your bucket list? Where do you want to go? Uh, I would love to go, um, I would love to go to Chile. Uh, that's one. I think another is, um, like New Zealand oh, is another one. It's on mine. Uh, is another one on mine. I think Spain is also another one on mine. I think to get, it's, uh, kind of the more European influence, mm-hmm. um, um, piece of of that but those would probably be my my top three that i'd go my parents lived in madrid for two and a half years um and so i got to do that trip twice like people who live in madrid do it not like a tourist and that is a city that i've been all over europe my mom is italian i'm very loyal to my experiences in italy spain done as a local is it's incredible. Huh. Um, I love it. That Madrid is such a unique city. Uh, I've never been to Barcelona or some of the others. Yeah. But Madrid itself kind of just grabs you and holds on to you. It's, it's just a unique place. Yeah. Um, and then I have told friends of mine this. I've never been to South America or Central America, but I have an open invite to anybody who's going to take me up on Machu Picchu. Like, really? I want to go to Machu Picchu. I don't want to take the train up. I want to take the the hike and yeah. do the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and nobody's booked the ticket with me yet. Noted, so. man. What's your time frame on when you want to get it? Whenever. In? I've been saying it for like two years. No so. kidding. Yeah. Noted. Okay. Yeah. Right. So we might have to okay. make an adventure out of it. Yeah. We'll we make it a business trip or something. Steam on that for a little bit. Um, speaking, you know, you mentioned Coke Industries, one of the largest privately owned companies in the world if not the largest privately owned company in the world um and i know you started more on the business side and now you're kind of more on the community relations or community um involvement Mm -hmm. what drew you to that side of not just coke but business in general yeah yeah so the initial drive to coke was one as you mentioned um i think cargill is actually number one so we are number two largest probably hill company in the, in the, in the U S. Um, so one of, so with that, with that kind of tied along the name here locally in Wichita, where I was going to school, graduating with an economics degree, my first priority was I want to go, I want to utilize this degree in a meaningful way, meaningful in the sense of like from a business perspective, like I want to see how it's applied in the business world. Um, so I had a great, fantastic experience was, uh, in various supply chain roles, um, there for the first three and a half to four years um throughout that uh i mentioned a little bit so teaching english in nicaragua i came back and i worked at a mental health facility uh with adolescents while i was going to school um so i'd always had kind of this this um people centric mindset of whatever i'm doing i want to at least have some i want to have like that human interaction that relationship development um is really important to me um so i say all that to so leading up to going to coke industries i had i mean mike's work experience and the experiences i had were complete 180 from grinding on an excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. and building out some economic models um all that being said i think it benefited me I hope it has, or I think it has uh, benefited me tremendously in just in terms of how do you actually interact and engage with people? How do you communicate effectively different things? Um, 
So the role I'm in now, as you mentioned, kind of around the community affairs side, um, it's really the, the philanthropic arm of Cook Industries of what are we, um, what are we involved in um, and how are we as an organization and how are we as a company and especially as, um, again, as mentioned, one of the largest privately held companies, how are, what, is, what is our impact um, on the community around us and the community that we serve? Um, and those communities are vast and their communities are everywhere. Um, and so that was uh, an immediate tie-in in terms of looking at, okay, what's the previous experience that I've had kind of on the ground to meet, dealing with people on a regular basis, um, moving back into kind of one tier up, um, let's look at like business operations and a very impactful business and organization as a whole. Then opportunity came up to move closer down to kind of that ground grassroots work of here's how dollars and here's how business can impact society and here's how business can impact individuals and communities in a really positive way um, so that kind of path led me down to to where I'm at now um, in public affairs community affairs with Coke. is there any one project or um, initiative that you find yourself drawn to more than others yeah, so currently, uh, so we're involved with um, kind of on the education reform front, um, and so what that looks like it's a it's a really it's a comp, it's an extremely complicated topic and issue, and it's been around for the last thirty to forty years with some really intelligent, smart people working on it, um, and so but there still seems to be kind of the the. Um, that dynamic of how do you most effectively so what is what is how do you most effectively educate. Um, students and educate kids specifically. Um, is there a is there a one size fits all model that everybody can adopt and everybody can be successful in, or are there different models that um, different individuals can adopt um, and different communities can adopt to um, to cater to and to serve? Again, it goes back to that service piece to serve the communities uh, and the individuals within those communities that um, that make it that make it a community. Um, so that's been that's been one of the most I think impactful and one of the most exciting projects and initiatives that I'm involved with now. Um, but just getting it's such it's such a dynamic um, concept and so many dynamic issues um, and things that work and things that don't work and people defining what should work and um, so how do you how do you break it down to its simplest form, which is um, the end goal of we we want to serve kids mm -hmm. we want we want wins for kids we want um and their families um so how do you most effectively do that um while fostering kind of that environment of uh of, of just effective um impact on people is there anybody doing it not necessarily the right way but a way that you'd like to see it go more like broadly like to yeah. scale it out is there any is there any whether it's in the united states or anywhere else is there a golden child yeah and i think uh, yeah and i i'll i'll uh, i'll start by saying i i uh i've never outside of teaching english in nicaragua and working with adolescents specifically i've never taught in any sort of like public education mm -hmm. so take this with 50 <laughs> grains of salt if you'd like um but no i think um I think it's it's been really fascinating. One of my sisters works has worked in um, education for the last ten to twelve years, um, 
she's worked in a variety of different roles, uh, anywhere directly with um, kind of the community organization or organizations and, and these different foundations and actual schools kind of as a community outreach coordinator. Um, so she's talking with parents, she's talking with students on a daily basis. She kind of knows the ins and outs of what's working and what's being most effective. Um, and so I think in seeing that, um, so no, I don't think that there's one that should be replicated at all. I think that it's more of from getting better connected with what my sister's seen and kind of her knowledge on the issues. It's really, it's, it's different for every community and it's different for every city and it's different for um, every state. And so um, how do you most efficiently um, and effectively kind of try to, try to broaden that reach and be most effective in, in the education side? I, I think when you say community affairs too, that's a word that everybody knows, but maybe not, or two words everybody knows, but maybe not two words everybody can define. Yeah. What to you is like the simplest explanation of community affairs? The simplest explanation. That's a good question. Um, So I would say, yeah, so I would say um, is the way in which we are, so Coke has, we've got, they've got operations, manufacturing facilities, offices, sites across the globe, uh, 60 different countries uh, all across the U.S. So there's, there's pockets where, where um, whether it's Coke or whether it's uh, another company, uh, Coke-affiliated company, uh, there's pockets where we have a significant influence on that community. And so is the, are the community members, um, what is their perspective and what is their perception of Coke Industries? And so um, are, we, are we truly and are we genuinely um, invested in that community? And are we, um, if not, is it, a, is it a shallow surface level We'll give dollars to any and every organization just so that Coke's name can be out as much as possible across all these different places just so that we can kind of write a check and say goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what I've seen and that's not where I think the most effective piece of. So defining it simply in the really not simple explanation <laughs> um, is probably saying genuine investment in a community and engagement in like other community leaders. Um, to where you can um, most positive, positively impact those individuals, as well as um, like when people think of our organization, do they think positively of it? Do they think highly of it? And the most important caveat is, do they think highly of it because it's, is it a genuine um, perception or is it just kind of the shallow surface level? I think the more depth that you can have and, and add into those different dynamics, I think obviously the better. There's a, there's one ethos that I kind of hold true, and I, that might be the first time I've ever used that word in my life. There you go. And it was on, it was recorded. <laughs> um, that's the extent of my vocabulary. But I have told many people this, and I'm not afraid to put it out there because there's people listening who will have heard it. But in relation to what you just said, being genuine always wins. Like, 
people that's the one thing that everybody can see right through yeah and you can try to fake it and you might be able to fake it for a little bit yep. but it eventually the walls fall down yep. eventually and you don't make up for that yep. once that that is done you're not coming back yep. so i think that's a pretty well well-rounded definition yeah yep. um i'll switch gears i just when i walk into matt's house he's got I'm looking over here now, there's a picture of Texas, so very fitting to the intro. Um, there's pictures of Nicaragua and some of his travels, but there's also a, uh, is it a Bianchi? Yes, a Bianchi is. road bike. Um, how long have you been cycling? So I got really into it, um, I want to say five or six years ago. Um, so a couple of buddies and I, we did the bike across Kansas. Um, which in terms of like asking for advice from people who had done it before or asking for advice to more, uh, much more experienced riders, uh, the question of how do you, like, how do you train for a statewide bike ride? Uh, and I think one individual put it pretty well. He said, you know, that your legs will be fine. He said, just go sit on a fence post for a couple hours a day for the next week and then you'll figure it out. So you'll get pretty good at it. So, um, no, but that was probably the kind of the catalyst of getting into cycling. Uh, it was just, it was right after I got back from, um, pretty soon after I got back from Nicaragua. Um, and so, um, being a soccer player, being a runner, biking kind of fit in with that in terms of kind of the longer distance endurance stuff. Um, and yeah, there's just something about, uh, I commuted on a bike for a while, um, and then now it's just more recreational. Um, but I think there's there's something about you are the only individual and you're the only person that can get that bike from point A to point B. Uh, and it was very evident on that bike across Kansas ride. That was your main goal for the entire week. Every day you woke up and your purpose was to ride that thing to this point. As, to far, next, as, as far as you could that day. Um, so that's what I think just the, um, it's a it's a peaceful, uh, a peaceful pastime. Um, provide some time to think and reflect and um but yeah it was probably six or seven years ago it's really got more into cycling have you when's the last time you competed in an, in an event instead of just riding recreationally like you said yeah i've i have uh i've never competed oh okay yeah it was just uh that bike across kansas was a purely it was a purely it was a, a, a goal based yeah. trip not a first place Nobody cares. As long yeah, as it if it was, then I, I failed miserably. Um, <laughs> and I didn't even know it, so that might be even worse. Um, no, but it was starting the border. Of, we've got a, I've got a picture at the Colorado border, and then we've got a picture at the Missouri border. And That's so you awesome. just go, go west to east. Um, and you've got a set amount of time, but do it in your own time. What was the most unexpected thing that happened the whole trip? Oh, um... It was actually pretty like tame, like a calm trip. <laughs> no flats or anything. So I had a lat the very last day. I had this old so not the bike that I have an old like an older giant road bike, uh, probably a late '80s model Allegra. Um, but I so that was the bike that I rode gear shifters down on the on the uh, down on the frame. Um, no, the, the very last day, I had no tire problems, no issues whatsoever. I tried to jump a speed, literally five miles away from the Missouri border. I tried to do a little jump over a speed bump and just <laughs> popped my front tire. So the three other buddies that I was with just 
stopped and I changed my changed my tire and then we went on our way. Um, no, That's pretty it, lucky. Yeah, I was extremely fortunate. My, that was yeah. My dad, um, he he hasn't in a while, but for about seven years ran triathlons, and uh, he's got some some horror stories of crashes and yeah, you know, running a personal record. And he wasn't competing at a high level, but like yeah. you said, as an individual sport, your goal is to beat yourself on pace to do it and then a flat that takes 30 minutes or 20 minutes or however long yeah. so um you never know when those things will pop yeah. up i would say the uh so there were other individuals that had a much more um interesting time than we did so there was every night after you'd have a full day of rides if you wanted to you'd go to kind of this um they'd bring everybody everybody in you could do a recap of the day and they'd go over the next day and there were two days in a row where one individual um, obviously the first time then there was another one that so we were riding along these two lane highways across Kansas um, and got clipped by a truck oh wow and so just side mirror they were fine fortunately they were fine um, but had to side the truck was just going away too close to them and just clipped them in their back um, and uh, they, were, they were able to finish the day and finish the week's ride but that was probably the more eventful piece but I just didn't yeah so, cycling and I'll close it with this. Cycling is probably one of the most dangerous activities you can do that people probably don't even realize. Right. Um, people die regularly yep. riding their bike. Um, and it's sad, but it's it's kind of, you know, you, it's always maybe in the back of your head somewhere. Yep. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's dangerous. Yeah. Um, it is a golfing podcast, I guess, or maybe golf influenced in, in some way. Are you a golfer? Uh, I like to play golf. I feel <laughs> like there's I feel like there's a there's a definition of golfer, and I don't know that I am it. Um, but no, I love I love the sport. Love to play golf. Um, grew up playing with my granddad. That was kind of the, our connecting point, uh, and my dad as well. Um, but no, I, I love love the sport. When did you, you mentioned your granddad, when did you start playing? Do you yeah. remember the first time you picked up a club? or? I do. So there was a, they lived in, so my grandparents lived in, um, they, grandmother now, she lives in Heston, um, Kansas, but they lived in Indiana for a while. And so every summer, um, our siblings or um, one of my three sisters, we would go and spend a week or so with my grandparents. I think probably to give my parents a break from four kids. Um, but yeah, we, we played at a, the name of it, I can't remember. It was a regular golf course that my granddad played all the time around Goshen, Indiana, um, or Elkhart, Indiana, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I vividly remember my cousin, Zach, myself, um, my granddad, um, and I think my grandmother was along with us as well. Hmm. Um, that was the first, first round we played. We would go to the driving range growing up, um, kind of through through starting in middle school probably, um, going to the driving range and then um, started playing more regularly then around the middle school. Do you have a favorite golfer? Um, I've, I probably would say, I would say Dustin Johnson might be one of my favorite. Why? Um, I think he's just got a really, so he's had a lot of success, but at the same time like his He's had a lot. He's like he's got a really interesting story, mm-hmm. um, and there's some depth like behind the individual of who is Dustin Johnson. I, I don't think anybody really knows either. Yeah, they're trying I mean, to piece it together. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. It's like this. 
this really stoic, um, I don't know if he has, like, just doesn't seem to show much emotion on the course. Um, I'm sure he does, and I'd probably have missed it. But um, I think he's, uh, obviously, he's, what was the last year he won the US Open? Yeah. Um, off of kind of a controversial. Came back from a controversial call, yeah. Yeah. And he had lost a major previously because of similar type situations. Yeah. Um, So I think think seeing that, and I think there was another point, I don't know if it was 2013 or 2014, when he kind of pulled himself out of uh, of PGA, out of off tour, just for personal issues, and um, whether it was binge drinking or cocaine. There's a lot of stories, yeah. Yeah, a ton of stories. Uh, But it seemed like to be able to, like, time out like have the personal awareness to say like I just I need you gotta to get right. I need to step away um, and get my get my head right before I try to compete at this level and then to actually come back and and, uh, do, it. and do it I think it speaks pretty highly of the individual he so, is a uh, incredibly talented um, I'll, I'll try and make a long story short one of my best buddies Jonathan Truman he's actually been on this podcast um, he spent a couple years working for a helmet, football helmet manufacturer. And as a part of those football helmets, they also sold what was called a shock box. So it went into the helmet. It was a digital device that registered impacts and concussion. And it didn't diagnose concussions, but it said, hey, this individual may have suffered a hit that could lead to one. Yeah. Anyway, the founder of that company uh, was best friends with Wayne Gretzky. And so in a scenario uh, my buddy Jonathan Truman found himself in a room not with Wayne Gretzky but with the founder of that company hmm. and golf came up and he told a story about how after Dustin Johnson lost the US Open to Jordan Spieth mm-hmm. in 2014 he three putted the last hole to lose um, he showed up the next morning to like a regular foursome buddies round with Wayne Gretzky and his friends and Wayne Gretzky is the great one. He's like Michael Jordan, you know, yeah. just cutthroat competitor. Yeah. Sees Dustin show up and is like, what are you doing here? You just, you lost the U.S. Open. You don't <laughs> yeah. have to be, like, this is not mandatory. Yeah. And Dustin's reaction kind of to your point was just, what are you talking about? You know, it's just a game. Yeah. You know, I'm out here. I'd ra- I, I want to be here. Yep. And the way the guy, at least from a, how I heard it based off the story, the way he positioned it was the guy just short short window short memory yeah. um and there's some people that would say i wouldn't pick up a club for a week or a month or whatever and he was like ah, on to the next one I'll, yep. get, I'll get mine when i get it so yep i like i like dustin too he also is like the most he's top two or three in the world yeah but he's not like the top two or three names anybody rattles off when they think of like the prominent golfers Absolutely. in the United States yeah. or in the world, they go to Jordan and to Rory and to Ricky and all these other guys. So yep. he, he kind of squeaks by while still being like the elite of the elite. Yeah. Um, what's the one golf course you would like to play if you could get the chance? Oh man, probably Augusta National. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> a common theme on here. I imagine that's probably the case. Um, I think actually, had yeah, we were celebrating a buddy's 30th birthday last night and that question came up and I think around the, around the table was Augusta National or maybe what tournament you get to the next um, yeah I think I'd, I'd, I'd play Augusta National I will I have played two holes of Colonial Country Club in oh Florida. nice uh, I had a buddy that growing up that we would go to the driving range um, 
there his family had family had a golf membership so we'd go to the driving range there and then every once in a while we'd sneak, sneak on a and, few holes and play uh, play a couple holes but no I would uh, I'd say I'd say Augusta National who would you play with any end of anybody yeah Barack Obama hmm. that's it yeah like, like a force oh, force him yeah <laughs> sorry no, well, that would no, be a good. solid two soon. I would do, uh, I'd have Barack Obama as one. Um, I'd probably have my dad as the second one. Um, and then to round out the foursome, oh, who would be the fourth? I don't know. You could join us if you want. No, I appreciate the invite. Um, I'll think it. of the fourth. Yeah, I'll think of the fourth thing. I'm in, so you, yeah, it's it's... Taken. Yeah. Um, I think that's a solid group. Yeah. At Augusta National. At Augusta National. Um, all right, kind of winding it down. Two questions I ask everybody. Um, favorite sports moment you ever participated in? Huh. As a play, like as a... Like you were in the game. I was in the game. Yeah. Um, so... We had, this was probably freshman, sophomore year of high school. Um, it was a tournament championship game in Dallas, Coca-Cola Classic League. Uh, we played a team that went into overtime. Overtime passed, nobody scored, so went into penalty kicks. Um, I was the, so you can get five players on each team to get sexual penalty, gets penalty kicks. Uh, I was named as the fifth player um, to be taking those penalty kicks, um, we were tied, so we were we we went second in that series. So going second, we obviously we could we could tell we could see who uh, what it was left up to. We were tied, I think, three to three, with me as the fifth player um, going up to take the final kick, and I I uh, I roofed it upper ninety, um, nailed it. All the huge bench clears from our side all the players that were on the field waiting at midfield came out um, and we won that was the the winning shot of the tournament nice. um, so that was probably the best yeah very nice yeah. Uh, last question favorite sports moment you've ever witnessed I would say, I think just be, so my first first NFL game that, I'm not a huge football fan, mm. um, not a huge. If, if you can't hear, um, Matt mentioned it when I walked in, he's like, will the dog be okay? He has been incredible, like no movement at all, and it's 9.15 and he's, he's ready to, uh, Sling the tennis ball around. He so. has a chewed up soccer cone in his mouth. <laughs> he heard soccer and sports, so it yeah. was like it's it's go time. Yeah. No, I went to so right before I started at Coke, we went. I went with two buddies of mine. Kind of did a trek around uh, up around the Northeast, um, see family, see friends. Before I was probably two week break before I had to start work. Um, we went to uh, Redskins, Washington Redskins, Seattle Seahawks playoff game um, in. Uh, Redskins were at home. I don't even remember the outcome of the game, but that was probably the best um, in terms of like 
sports atmosphere that I'd been in. Being at that stadium in the seats that we had, um, time of year was perfect. The people were perfect in terms of kind of who we were there with. Um, but that would probably be my, my my favorite sports, I guess, moment that I've witnessed. Nice. Yeah, I'd have to look it up to see who actually won. I bet it was the Seahawks. If it's been within the last... The Redskins definitely didn't beat the Seahawks in a playoff game in the last five to eight years. Yeah, you had RG3, you had Westbrook, you had... uh, So it was a battle of the quarterbacks. It was a a good football game. Um, But, yeah. Nice, man. Well, um, that'll do it for me. That's uh, all I've got. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, Again, I've enjoyed kind of getting to know a little bit about your story and thanks for sharing it with anybody who's listening so that's it uh for episode number eight low side podcast appreciate it see ya okay that's a wrap on this week's episode of the low side podcast if you have any questions concerns feedback criticisms Uh, Please reach out to me. My email address is michael at lowsidegolf.com. I would love to hear what anybody who listened thought and any way we can do better. And lastly, if you have a guest or or would like to be a guest, please reach out to me. Uh, We're looking for as many interesting people and interesting stories to tell as possible. Um, Not always around golf, um, but, but usually with some bit of golf thrown in the middle. So, Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.